Green Street Joinery and the American Craftsman Podcast are proud to partner with Montana Brand Tools. Montana Brand Tools are manufactured by Rocky Mountain Twist in Montana, USA. With numerous patents dating back to the invention of the Hexshank system by our founders, we strive to produce accessories that add precision, flexibility, and efficiency to your toolkit. In addition to woodworking tools, we produce many high-quality cutting tools that are used by the aerospace, medical, automotive, and industrial markets. Our end product has a fit and finish that is beyond comparison. Montana Brand Tools are guaranteed for life to be free of defects in material and workmanship because we build these tools with pride and determination. For 10% off your order, visit MontanaBrandTools.com and use the coupon code AmericanCraftsman. And we're back. Yeah, you got a fresh cup of tea there? Yeah. Going with peppermint again? Yep. Oh, wow. That's a good one. Uh, Yeah, so here we are, episode uh, 15. Yeah, we're going to talk about federal furniture. Mm-hmm. On the uh, last day of the year. Oh, wow. Wow. Not for us, but in your yeah. time. Yeah. You know what I kind of thought of? We uh, space these things out once a week. Uh-huh. So I never really recapped, like, where we left off. The, You know, like when you watch a show that's in a two-parter? Mm-hmm. They kind of show you, like, a little brief thing, what happened in the first episode. Before. Yeah. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try bringing everybody up to speed. Last week on the American Craftsman Podcast. <laughs> Yeah, sounds better when you say it. <laughs> you know, so we're talking about the period between 1780 and 1820, uh, the newly formed uh, United States of America. Yep. Um, and up to this point, everything is really uh, rooted in... in European fashion and strong, strong ties to Britain, of course. Mm-hmm. So everything's kind of brought over to the colonies and and filtered through those lenses. Then in uh, 1748, mid 1700s, uh, Pompeii is unearthed. The, mm-hmm. the ruins, which we learned, uh, were the city of Pompeii's buried in what 79 A.D. Was it? Yeah. Um, and, I mean, it's still a fascinating thing to this day to go and see those things because uh, the the lava encapsulated the city so quickly. Frozen <laughs> in time, yeah. Yeah, I mean. People didn't even see it coming. No. There. It's like. So, um, although we've had all the, the Greek and Roman ruins, you know, Visible things like the Parthenon and all the Colosseum, all that stuff's been visible um, at that point in the 1800s. This sparked renewed interest in that time period. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, there was one guy in particular that uh, brought, um, we'll say, the, 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 federal aesthetics to Britain and then to America. His name was Robert Adam. He was an architect. So he goes over to uh, Pompeii. He soaks it all in. He takes his notes. He kind of watches Europe digest and, um, you know, react to what they see as Roman life during the first century. And then he brings his take to it. 
And that's what filters over to America. Now, 17, fast forward, you know, 20, 30 years, we're in the 1780s. And it's kind of a fascinating thing where this new country, uh, the United States, kind of um, sees itself as uh, the new Roman Republic, if you will. Yeah, maybe kind of searching for an identity. Mm -hmm. That's a good way to put it. Like a teenager. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. You know. Um, Dyed our hair black. Yeah. <laughs> start painting our fingernails. Got a few piercings. <laughs> you know, back, back in my day, that was, you know, really... Um, on the outskirts of things, tattoos, piercings, mm -hmm. they were not commonplace back then. Well, yeah, I can imagine piercings, especially. Yeah. Like when like I. Like, did was, anybody have anything pierced other than their, their, their ears? ears? No, no. Like, if you had your nose pierced, you were probably like a, a blaspheme. Yes, yes. I mean, every now and again, you'd run into somebody that had like a tiny little nose piercing, you know, not a hoop, but like a little stud, mm -hmm. little jeweled stud. So yeah, I just got back from India, you know. Right. Did some uh, drugs. <laughs> like I had three earrings in one ear and one in the other, and that was a cause. Lock them for... up. <laughs> exactly. Many many odd looks. Like you know, you know, people were uh, very uh, conservative. Yeah, conservative and. It wouldn't be unusual for somebody just because I had both of my ears pierced to say something without even bl blinking an eye. <laughs> Are you gay? <laughs> like, I mean, could you imagine something like that happening today? Uh, well, I guess there were in certain crowds. Yeah. But that was, they were not concerned about who would hear them right, say yeah. something like that. They thought it was. There was no mincing words. No. <laughs> Yeah, now I mean, like a pierced nose is totally yeah. It's it's a normal kind of uh, and even as like a t like a teenager, I think right. Um, I mean, it's a I, coming of age. I don't know. Sort of I don't. Thing. I don't really know any teenagers. I guess, but I assume that. I mean, yeah. See, I mean, see tons of people with pierced nose and stuff like that. Yes, and when did like when did tattoos become? Very, uh, I'm going to say acceptable as sort of like you if you went to work, you didn't have to cover them up and things like uh, that. I mean, depending on where you work, I think now even it's you probably for the most part still had to have them covered up. Mm. But um, I think in the 90s is when they really started to become more mainstream. Yeah. Like maybe the late 80s, early 90s. Yeah, that was um, and started moving away from like the. The sailor kind of style and the, mm -hmm. you know, like the tigers and yeah. things like that. Yeah, all that stuff kind of started in like the 30s, 40s. Um, that's where like sailors were the people mm -hmm. were getting tattooed because they were overseas in Japan and stuff like that. And that's yeah, where a the lot islands, of the, the South Pacific. Yep. Yeah, um, that's where like the tribal tattoos come from or the, the South Pacific and then like all the you know, Sailor Jerry kind of stuff stemmed from traditional Japanese tattooing, I guess, and then morphed into this more of like a naval-themed kind of thing. Mm -hmm. That'd be an interesting podcast, actually. Mm. History of tattoos and... Oh, yeah, I bet there's 
Yeah. There's some. Uh, listen to. Yeah. How do you like those, um, like those Samoan, those really like big fields of mm-hmm. black or dark ink? Those things must. My cousin had a, uh, he had it done in Fiji, like a real. Um, like where they tap Polynesian on the tattoo. Oh, yeah. Shit. It's like a whalebone or something. And they have, yeah, this little rest and they tap it. Um, I think he said it, it didn't, it wasn't that painful, but <laughs> I mean, I have a decent amount of tattoos and yeah, I, I have, yeah. the, my chest was painful. <laughs> Did you have to shave when you got that? Oh, they always shave you yeah. before, uh, the tattooers. For reasons or? Well, it'll push the hairs into your oh. skin, you know, so you just end up with all these ingrown hairs. Oh God. Yeah. Plus it's, it's hard for them to see, I guess, yes. too. Yeah, they want a want a clean palate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Well, 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 we were talking, talking about, about federal <laughs> furniture. We were talking about federal furniture, the Roman Republic. <laughs> oh, I know what. Because you, it was, it was a, the youthful America, right. searching for its identity and finding a they, role model in the Roman Republic. They dyed their hair, painted their nails, yeah. and they started listening to Fall Out Boy. Yeah. <laughs> That sounds like that sounds like somebody. <laughs> oh man! Um, hi out there to Manny, and uh, so it, I mean we all tend to look back at the Roman uh, Empire with rose-colored glasses here in the in the West. You mm-hmm. know, source of all these, uh, source of all this great knowledge, architecture, design, democracy, and all that other stuff. But it did kind of <laughs> go down in, in flames. Yeah. Yeah. So this is this is something that uh, Robert Adams, the architect, brings back to Britain, and then it's through uh, through those channels makes its way over to America, and um, in American interpretation. It becomes the federal style. They they do call this neoclassical mm-hmm. um, in a, in the larger world out in Europe and things like that. This style does exist, so it's not just in America. Um, and the consumers of this furniture were largely urbanites, well-to-do, uh, the the merchant class and and above. Um, early, I'll, I'll just read from my notes. This is pretty well uh, written as I pulled this from Wikipedia. Early American federal furniture of this era did full justice to the elegant high society of the young nation. Ladies in silks and muslin sipped tea in the drawing room. Gentlemen in tight-fitting coats and wigs discussed the stirring events of the new federation in well-appointed libraries. Lawmakers and entrepreneurs, rich traders and their fashion-conscious wives, all with money to spend and a position in society to maintain, created beautiful homes and interiors in a style which is still prized by antique lovers today. In the historic districts from which the capital was born, such as Georgetown, Alexandria, and Roslyn, Virginia, Federal furniture and architecture is preserved in an abundance of museums and show houses. Mm. Reminds me of, uh, you ever watch Always Sunny in Philadelphia? Yeah, yeah. 
you see the one where they're in like colonial well in, in colonial like, williams <laughs> well no there it's like in this sort of like i forget it maybe has something to do with the liberty bell i forget the premise of the whole uh episode but uh they're dressed up like as these like oh. high society guys no. oh yeah it's funny <laughs> But, oh, they're like uh, they're loyalists. Okay. Yeah, I forget what the premise of the thing is, but they're loyalists, like dressed up like you know with powdered wigs. Uh-huh. And it's pretty funny. But you could kind of see the um, the scene that that paragraph sets. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it is for the well-to-do, and federal furniture does have that kind of graceful, elegant kind of look to it. Yeah. Super tasteful, not, mm-hmm. you know, um, too over the top. It's not florid like the last kind of fancy pieces we we went through. Yeah. Um, uh, let's see. Cherry and Walnut is the title of this next uh, paragraph um, because dark woods were popular at the time. So if you see... Um, federal furniture, the primary wood is almost always dark. Mm-hmm. We, we went through the popularity of mahogany, um, and that was still really, at this time, really popular in Europe. Mm-hmm. But it's the native woods. I guess it's it's sort of that, uh, you know, that pride in localism and things like that, nativism. Uh, cherry and walnut is is big and popular, and this, I found this interesting because cherry was really very popular. Walnut was stained with uh, it was stained red with potassium chloride. Well, <laughs> to be used as a slightly less expensive option. Yeah. <laughs> now it's you know now it's nearly not. three times the price. But it, that cracks me up because. How often does somebody say like ten thousand? That's too much. What if you use a cheaper one? Yeah, <laughs> we use walnut and stain it red. <laughs> oh man, intricate workmanship is typical of federal furniture. Many pieces feature inlays of different types of wood, or wood scorch to give areas of light and dark contrasts. That's that stuff like. Um, I was, I read a whole, um, how to article on, you know, that, like that fan that they make, like it's, it's like those triangular pieces that are cut and it's, it's like, it goes in an oval. Oh yeah. Out of a uh, veneer. Yeah. 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 And you, you, you dip the edges into like some hot sand. Oh yeah. Or yep. Yep. That's all at this period in time. That's when this is really coming into vogue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, give some highlight. Mm-hmm. Uh, painted and string inlays were used for decoration. Stars and eagles, uh, the symbols of the new nation, are often seen in American furniture. Uh, in in American furniture, instead of the classical emblems of European furniture, where they'd be, um, you know, pulling more from uh, the neoclassical Roman Greek mm-hmm. stuff. Um, and in this kind of thing is especially true in the later part of the period as we get into the, um, you know, early 1800s. Uh, this I found interesting. Several new types of furniture kind of came into being during the federal era. Uh, and, you know, life is changing. 
needs are changing. Um, sideboards became popular, and I I like a sideboard. I that's yeah. a, that's one of my favorite projects to build because it's big enough where you can kind of do something with it, you know, yep. design wise, and it's something you can drop off. I was gonna say, best thing is it's it's a piece of furniture. And we you could just sit there. We love the drop off. Yeah. But well, there it is. Looks good. See you later. Yeah. You can finish the drop off slash install before lunch. Oh That's yeah. That's good. And then you go have lunch out. Yeah. To celebrate. Because you got a nice fat check, final payment. Yeah, yeah. Um, so sideboards became popular during this time. And I suppose, you know, there it's the entertaining, it's the wealthy that you could imagine, you know, the big dining room, the Mm -hmm. sideboard set with, uh, um, drinks or something on it. Yeah. Some, uh, what are they drinking back then? What are they drinking? Sherry. Sherry. Port. Port. Yeah. Yeah. I can see it now. Wigs. Yeah. (laughs) Chlamydia and uh, what was it? The wig had something to do with some kind of like uh, lice, STD, or some. Oh God! Yeah, you got you got you got to find out that answer. Yeah, well, let me see. Maybe you it's a Mandela effect. You can't bring that up. It was like I think they had uh, syphilis and they were like losing their hair. Oh my God! Powdered wigs and syphilis. Yeah, there it is. Oh. Victims of syphilis hid their hair loss with wigs, sometimes made of human hair, but quite frequently made of more low-cost options like horse and goat. In order to further hide infection, these wigs were doused with lavender and orange-scented powders just to cover up any funky smells. Oh, my God. See, I'm not crazy. So, the powdered wig. So, it wasn't enough. That's why, you know, it's funny. You just sort of took it at face value. They wore powdered wigs. Like, yeah. Yeah, like, what's the powder? Why the powder? Why the wig? Why the wig? You know, I always just thought, not giving it too much thought, they they had short hair and they wanted to put on this long-haired wig at, I, don't, I have no idea why, for some sort of stylistic yeah. uh, aesthetic. It turns out... They had syphilis. Man. And then maybe, I think it kind of caught on. So Because, be- <laughs> the you know, the big wigs were all out messing around. And they all had syphilis. Oh, so they started shit. wearing the wigs. And everybody else was like, man, these wigs are pretty cool. Oh, maybe God. I'm going to get one of these wigs made oh. out of goat hair. Goat hair. That had to be coarse. And smelly. Yeah, man. So it- <laughs> No wonder they had the powder. And they, how long could a goat's hair be? Yeah, I don't know. I guess not that long. Yeah, so I guess they had to, like, weave it together and stuff. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, man. That's so, for another episode. Yeah, the, that's... Uh, the Maybe Mandela. that's a Patreon. <laughs> I'm talking about powdered goat wigs. Hair, goat hair and the powdered wig. So sideboards become popular, um, I guess, you know, due to lifestyle. Specialized sewing tables also made an appearance for the first time. Hmm. Um, I guess that's, I don't have a picture of it. I probably should, unless it's further down. I don't remember. Uh, it sounds like a small table with a drawer or two in it, right? Yeah. 
Sounds like something the help would have, not the... Uh... I know, I know. Uh, unless it's something that the ladies did at night while the men were, uh, you know, Out smoking. getting syphilis? <laughs> right, because, you know, like when you see shows like uh, uh, historical dramas, the, the men all kind of adjourn to one room and the ladies to another. I don't know, but they really wouldn't be selling, would they, together? I I, Who knows? Practical sectional tables took up less space than the giant library tables of the past, but offered seating for many guests if necessary. I see. So they're sitting around chairs with tables like you can see the gentleman's club. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm digging that. You know, I, I would love to be able to build a couple of small tables. Yeah. Um, the dresser and the chest uh, make another appearance. Uh, they gain an, the oh the dresser and the chest gain an important addition, a matching and attached mirror. Yep, like, like the we saw that in the episode the uh, yeah uh, the, example last week. John Seymour, John mm-hmm. and his uh, son Thomas Seymour, cousin of Raymore and Flanagan. <laughs> no, that's not Raymore and Flanagan. That's Bob. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Bob's discount. <laughs> So they're taking the, you know, we see the chest come from a box, mm-hmm. adding drawers, adding feet, stacking another chest on top of it. This now time, got a mirror. A mirror. I wonder if mirror glass was expensive back then. Probably. Yeah. It was um, maybe real silver. So federal style furniture can perhaps be described as the first real. American style furniture. Hmm. Uh, would you agree with that? Um, I don't know that that Newport stuff. Mm-hmm. But it kind of falls into the same thing because it was influenced directly by what was happening in England. Yeah, I, I agree. I'm gonna have a little bit of a dispute with that because. But I mean, okay, yeah. so the um the United States was just formed, so I guess technically. You want to get technical, yeah. regardless of who was inspired uh, by it is the real first real American style furniture because prior right. to that there was no United States of America. Right. I take it I take it that way it's too. Just British colonies. Although it's it's initially derivative. Right. Um I suppose we have to I don't even know when we're gonna come across the first non derivative. Probably never. <laughs> Are we getting back to the same, the three-chord argument? There's, yeah. only <laughs> There's only so many notes. Because in the past, woodworkers had done their best to create replicas of European designs using local materials and local talent. Um, so this is, I guess in that way, um, it is... It's the most American, for sure. Yeah. Um, During the federal period, European influence, it remains visible, but it's diluted. Uh, And artistic license takes over in in a bigger sense. And some regional styles develop. And I uh, picked out a few that uh, had the most prominent differences. We have Connecticut. Uh, characterized by elaborate inlays of bell flowers, 
carrot-shaped designs and a pattern resembling a Ferris wheel mm-hmm. <laughs> was common. Carnies. <laughs> so I wonder if that's where carnies originated. It could be. The mm. Connecticut carnies. Sorry, Viz. Yeah. <laughs> Maryland. Uh, after the war, the Revolutionary War, Baltimore became a hub for cabinet makers in the United States. Hmm. I didn't know that. And Maryland craftsmen were well known for their elaborate painted pieces and this is a hard word to say. Eglomise? Eglomise? Mm, sounds right. It means glass panels decorated with allegorical figures. Hmm. We just lost about uh, 35% <laughs> of the listeners. Glass panels, which kind of have a little storytelling um, decoration on them. Again, bellflowers and oval inlays, this time surrounded by a mitered panel. Uh, those things were popular with designers. So they're using these things to kind of um, clue us into where these pieces are made from because not mm-hmm. everybody's signing. Uh, New York and New Jersey, as we uh, uh, told our listeners last episode, last week, uh, this is really the the most populous area of the country. Mm-hmm. Um, more or less still is, but yeah. cabinet makers, including the famous Duncan Fife, settled throughout New York, and New York City in particular became the epicenter for American fashion and furniture. Uh, one notable characteristic of New York furniture is the squared-off chair back with urn-shaped splats. Mm. Now the splat is that that piece of wood or pieces of wood in that that the back is resting on that your back rests on. In yeah, yeah. Just so, um, like a ladder back but turned. Yes, yes. Um, in New Jersey, hey, home of uh, the American Craftsman Podcast right. and Green Street Joinery. Craftsmen often made several types of furniture in a single shop, just like we do, creating the new styles as well as the traditional versions favored by many customers. Yeah, sounds about right. Yeah, here we are. We're we're still playing second fiddle, aren't we, over here? Yeah. The quarter fan motif was popular throughout both New York and New Jersey. Pennsylvania. That we're talking mainly Philadelphia and surrounding areas because this is this is all pretty urban uh, mm-hmm. happenings. Urns, carved drapery—that's that's real, you know, Greco-Roman. They were common embellishments on Pennsylvania creations, and elaborate painting was common on chairs, chests, and dressers. Mm. I wonder if that's a uh, any bit of um influence from the the Dutch. Because painting was big on all of their stuff. Yeah. The Pennsylvania Dutch or the Dutch Dutch? Pennsylvania Dutch. Mm, so, yeah. Pennsylvania Deutsch. Because, I mean, there was some interaction. Or they come into Philadelphia or vice versa. Yeah. Maybe our boy, uh, what's his name? <laughs> Hooper. Ha- what's his name? <laughs> Jack Happer? Lap? Lapper? Lap. Henry, Henry Lapp. Lapp. Henry Lapp. Yeah, maybe Henry Lapp picked that up in Philly. Took it over to the Amish's. 
I wonder what else he picked up in Philly. He wasn't a wig wearer, was he? <laughs> no, no, he couldn't hear a thing. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> is, is, is he wasn't very good with words. Another Pro- symptom? <laughs> he could be. Yeah, little did they know. Henry wasn't born deaf. <laughs> Rhode Island. Um, pieces made in Rhode Island, particularly card tables, often had distinctive geometric inlays. An unusual chair design with a shield-shaped back also developed hmm. in Rhode Island. Interesting. Uh, last we were in Rhode Island, they were doing a lot of that carving, the the shell motif. Yep. Um, and it, it's not like they turn a switch on and off and all of a sudden nobody's, you know, building those Newport-style chests and yep. things like that. Yeah, I mean, there's people still making stuff with red oak. <laughs> I shouldn't talk because we got a we, job coming up. We're about to. <laughs> Not by choice. We're going to make red oak sexy again. That's right. Going to get some of that Minwax golden oak stain and put it on there. Oh, God. <laughs> because it's got to match the floor. Yeah. I mean, uh, we should we should preface because that's... That's what has to happen. We have to yeah. match the existing floor that was just put down in the yeah, house. Which is red oak with like a, a 50-50 special walnut white. Yeah, white yeah. It's, or something. I don't know what it it's is. It's quite an amalgam. It's kind of like a lavender color. It is. That's what happens when you put uh, those two things onto yeah. pink and red. And it's almost like, yeah, like a, like a tan stain on red oak. Mm-hmm. And uh, lastly, because I put these in alphabetical order, South Carolina, uh, the southernmost uh, center of, uh, you know, federal furniture. Wealthy plantation owners typically had their furniture shipped from New York, and local craftsmen mimicked these styles. Hmm. So the, the rich folks... They had the authentic stuff. And then people who maybe, you know, like merchants or what have you, they they went locally and asked uh, people in the, you know, the town shop, can you make something that looks like this? Mm-hmm. That's kind of like the... <laughs> yeah, yeah, I saw this on Amazon. You can, can you make, make it cheaper? It cheaper? <laughs> You see, they were always doing it to us. Yeah. I got another <clears throat> new client questionnaire. Someone in California again with it. I think they must be fake. A table, $3,000. Like yeah, a seven. I'm like, be, <laughs> oh, yeah. You could come pick it up and we'll do it for, tw- you know, not for 3000 So local craftsmen mimic the styles of the furniture being um, built up in it, the Northeast. Uh and uh, there's one uh, unique feature that develops in South Carolina, a motif inspired by the rice plant, mm. which grew in profusion in the Charleston area. So there's a lot of rice growing down there. And, yeah. and instead of wheat, which was one of the, the classic motifs um, from Roman era, it, it changes to rice. Uh, characteristics of... Federal furniture. Um, 
begin a bit of a recap. If uh, you don't remember, I'm going to reinforce that it's a neoclassical design. Um, a lot of proportion, uh, fluted columns, straight uh, legs, not curved legs. You know, everything is um, cool, rational. These are the words that they like to use. Mm-hmm. Clean edges, straight lines. Um, they primarily primarily dark bodies. You know, main woods of dark, uh, are dark. Uh, cherry, walnut, native woods. And it's the exotic veneers. And if it's if it's not exotic, they're using like the burls and mm-hmm. the, sort of the way we would use veneers today as a compliment. Yeah, um, which is you know pretty cool because it's it's two hundred years on, we're still kind of using it in the same way. Yeah, they didn't have any vacuum bags back then. Either. <laughs> I was about to say, how do you think they? I mean, I guess they had presses. Yeah. Like a screw with a big platen. Yep. <clears throat> they just use some Starbond uh, CA glue, <laughs> an activator. Do you think they they had sponsors back then? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Steve's wig powder. <laughs> for when your head really smells what, bad. What? What? <laughs> when my head stinks, I reach for Steve's wig powder. Oh man. Um, and you know, all of the, all of the little, um, details, like in the carvings, you could all see like those swag curtains and the fans, um, grapes, all that stuff. That's like, you could see it in like, what are those catalogs? Like, uh, dykes, they had like, you know, those, oh, what do they call those things that you buy now that you can Put on is that an overlay? Oh, like you know, an applique. Applique. Yeah. There you go. That's that comes straight out of this list oh, right yeah. here. Ribbons, swag, fruit basket, grapes, wheat shafts, flowers, urns. I mean, that's it's so it's still mm-hmm. it's still quite influential. Yeah, you think of like plaster work too. Mm-hmm. You know, incorporates all that stuff. Yeah. Here's a couple of um, pictures. Let's take a look at this Federal or Sheraton Bureau. There you go. Interesting. Um, Sheraton did have his own style. Yeah. And from what I saw, it's a little bit simpler. Um, Look at that skirt down at the bottom. Yeah. I mean, and you see like the little cutouts close to where the legs are. I mean, it almost looks reminiscent of the Pennsylvania Dutch, doesn't it? Except for that inlay piece, that shape, though. Yeah, yeah. Of that skirt board. A lot of these, like, broken flute patterns Mm -hmm. they have where, you know, instead of being fluted the whole way, it's either divided up with some negative space or... Or uh, a little urn kind of shape, or up top they have these, um, I guess, bead, this ribbed kind of bead look. Yeah. Seeing the same detail on the top, where the top follows the the legs, where the legs are actually, like, 
sort of applied to the corners of the case instead of being integral to the case. Yeah, it looks like there's kind of an applied piece trimming the drawer faces. Is is that are those mitered in the mm, corner? Or? It almost looks like. Yeah, I don't know. I can't tell if that's veneer with a miter in it, or yeah, it does look like that, it has is it some flat, or is it raised? No, yeah, it does look like it has some dimension to it. I can see like some cur like a curve. Yeah, almost right. And then there's that inlay. Yeah, a little string inlay on the inside with. And I'm starting to notice that keyhole um, feature. The in one in that Seymour piece, they had it without the without the brass right. part. Um, I I wonder what is that cherry or with the. You know, it does look like maybe it's just like a highly figured piece of cherry. Could be maple. Yeah, as we found in that last. That I wonder what this looked like, you know, in the in eighteen hundred when yeah. it was built. Like what what were the colors? You know, maybe that when was like I a, think of federal, I do think of that contrast of light and dark like that. Mm -hmm. This I don't know, this could be walnut the main with the potassium uh chloride. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe yeah, because that's it's the legs are awfully brown. Brown. Yeah. Um, it's hard to identify. Mm-hmm. And it almost looks like they're two different species that that um that long section of, of fluting, right? Versus this, that. yeah, a little bit. Hard to tell. But that's built in this not built by Sheraton, but that's the Sheraton style. Right. Uh, got a federal desk. Yeah, almost like a secretary. Yep. But with, uh, I guess, swinging, you know, not a drop down, but a. Again, we doors. got those, those keyholes, mm -hmm. the oval brass pulls. Yep. Some more figured wood. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what I'm seeing. I see a lot of use of figure. Mm -hmm. um, look how dainty the legs are compared yeah. to what we've seen in the past. And, you know, more unadorned. Mm -hmm. But the drawer face style is real similar to the last example with that. Yeah. Um, it almost like looks like it came out of the band. same shop. Yeah. Um, sort of like a, like a slab head with a mitered back band. Mm-hmm. If frame uh, and panel, well, frame and panel or veneer, it's hard to tell. Yeah. If you're just listening, it's really, uh, in this episode, at least at this section of the episode, it's worth it to take a look and, and actually view these pieces yeah. to appreciate them. Uh, it's, it's nice work. I mean, I didn't... We don't build in the federal style, but this has me at least intrigued by it. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, <clears throat> sorry for the yawning. Um, this could be reinterpreted, the just the, the form and proportion yeah, into yeah. several different styles. I agree. Mid-century, shaker, uh, stickly. 
Yes, you're you're right on the money in all those. Um, again, I'm always curious as to what the wood, what the the newly finished wood looks like at that time. Mm-hmm. It's a good looking piece. I mean, you could still see it in somebody's house today. Wow. Wow. That's nice. That, it looks like mahogany, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, at least the bottom section. Similar legs to the uh, the first one. A little more curvaceous, though, down here. Yeah, yeah. Like the play, they're playing with different heights and depths here. Well, maybe one depth. Different heights. Yeah, I love how the doors are just single pieces of wood, right? Yeah. <laughs> or a, a veneer, I don't know. Um. Yeah, I got a book match here, book match here. Yep. And and a book match on the outside as well. Oh, yeah, so they must be veneers, huh? Well, maybe not. Hmm. Probably, but. There's those keyholes. Yep. With the brass. The, the what would you call that, a reeded column? Fluted column for the legs? Um. I guess that's reeded. Fluted would be like kind of the opposite. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're right. You're right. Fluted would be in. Those are those. Everything we've been looking at has been reeded. Mm-hmm. Um, Big, you know, curve relief on this uh, skirt down here. All really nice proportions. A lot of figure everywhere. Yeah. I mean, everywhere. It's, it's. Little butt hinges. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. And those, whatever those, uh, the pattern, how it, it follows the top of the rounded uh, mm-hmm. column leg. I wonder, I wish we knew what that was called. Yeah. Um, because that appears in all these pieces as well. Yeah, really nice. I yeah. mean, I, I love the the height. I'm not digging the contrast on this one. No, because the, the top those, is very yellow, but it might not have aged well in that regard. Yeah, if it was all this color of this down here, mm-hmm. I'd like it a lot more. But it is. I love the the shape and size of it. Mm-hmm. I wonder if it has two more back legs. Oh yeah, behind there. Yeah. Huh? Because I think some of these pictures are composites. Because if you look at this one. Look how these the legs are weird, right? They're yeah. like like in like a dream sequence. They're yeah, like a shadow. Like they're like all misty looking. So I wonder if they it's a composite and they kind of added those added those back in to give it some perspective. Cuz these look like they could be Just doing tacked the same. on there, photoshopped on, huh? Yeah. Yeah, like the they took them edited them out and then put them back yeah. in so that Maybe not, you know, because uh, this is was shot on a, uh, you know, maybe they were throwing a shadow or something. Possible, yeah, because it's really on a it's on a clean white background. Mm-hmm. These shots, they're not in a setting. There you go. Oh man, you're losing me on these. <laughs> is this the shield? Uh, yeah, shape? that's the shield shape, and that's a Rhode Island thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
This looks like some kind of animal, this thing over here with these legs in the back yeah, and these, yeah. like a gorilla. Really wide uh, stance in the front and narrow in the back. Same thing here. Yeah, the arm and the, the non-armed chair, the just the seat. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it it's a couple of like intersecting ellipses almost with a fan at the top of the splat. Yep. <clears throat> um not at all, not at all what I would think once you when we've seen like all these pieces of casework, very angular. Yeah. But the chair, they're upholstered. Um the first one, the chair without arms has some straight legs, etc. But um I'm not digging the no. The design, personally. Then these look like little eyes. Mm-hmm. But we know from Hep both Heppelwhite and Sheraton's books, upholstery is big now. Yeah. You this know, is looking a lot like Chippendale to me. Yeah, it is. Um, you know, comfort, I suppose, becomes more of an issue. Uh you you probably don't want to just sit on a wooden chair. Yeah, when you got syphilis, you ain't got long to live, <laughs> so you might as well enjoy it. <laughs> what wood would you say? The, guess those were made out of. Um, it's. I mean, it's very dark. Yeah. I mean, it could be mahogany or walnut. Yeah. Looks like mahogany to me. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of curves in there. Yeah. For a federal period. I mean, this is an obscenely complex bag. You're right, because it's all those interlocking pieces. That probably, I, I mean, I wouldn't even know how to approach that. I mean, is that carved from how, one piece? That's Yeah, what I was just thinking. I don't know. I mean, with all that negative space removed... Yeah, because look how these come over the top. Yeah. And come connect all the way down here to this shell or fan, whatever the hell that is. Imagine. Wow. Crazy. Yeah. And then it's got to be joined to those other pieces mm -hmm. and stand the test of time. I mean, a chair. To, for a chair to last that long and and be that I'll, I'll say dainty mm -hmm. that's that's amazing workmanship yeah stylistically it, it doesn't uh, do anything for me but <coughs> excuse me the craftsmanship holy cow yeah all right so the I got term, a, got a creak in my chair now yeah to uh, grease this baby up Maybe you got one too. Yeah. Um, so this is another uh, um, the fresher the term federal. Now that we've been talking about, it refers not specifically to um, the style of furniture, but the period with within uh, which the furniture is made. Right. Um, based on. Uh, Neoclassicism, the, the classics found in uh, Greece and Rome. And if we scroll down, we get come across Robert Adam again. Uh, and we bring up Heppelwhite and Sheraton's books. 
cabinet maker and upholsterer's guide. This this was interesting. We'll get into this as we we talk more about them as individuals. But uh, Heppelwhite's uh, or let's see, was yeah, Heppelwhite's book isn't published during his lifetime. Oh wow! His his wife um, publishes it after his death. Hmm. Um, Trying to make a little coin. Yeah, yeah. She, pro- you know, you're probably right on the money because. Uh, women were often left. <laughs> he probably died yeah. of syphilis. <laughs> he probably did. Uh, so both these guides are studied extensively by American furniture makers. And, and why is there, why, and while their interpretations varied, <laughs> the products had the underlying clean lines and delicate forms attributed to the federal period. Um, Heppelwhite. Most often, Heppelwhite pieces, especially small tables, chairs, and writing desks, were crafted of mahogany. Hmm, mahogany. Um, yeah, mahogany. Mahogany's uh, popular still, um, but also mahogany veneers. Mm-hmm. Mahogany veneer over cherry is sometimes re- referenced as, is referred to as poor man's mahogany. Hmm. Oh, Not man. over MDF? No. <laughs> I wonder if those chairs were of a Heppelwhite design because Heppelwhite designs have a more delicate looking appearance when a, compared to earlier Chippendale and Queen Anne uh, pieces made during the colonial period. Hmm. Trademark features of Heppelwhite style, according to Antiques 101, include spade feet, Shield back chairs. Oh, it's yeah, gotta there be. There you go. Marquetry and tambour fronts on case pieces. I think maybe those would be kind of called spade feet. I was trying to think of what those little uh, tiny. Oh, I know what the spade feet are. Like that. Um. Like a shovel. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's definitely like going to have some uh, Heppelwide influence, those chairs. Yeah. Hey, scroll back a little bit. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. So is the spade feet, the shield back, the marquetry, tambour fronts. Um, and these innovations endured and became hallmarks of Heppelwhite's influence on furniture manufacturer. Um the other uh, big name is Sheraton. He also favored mahogany, but uh, here's some of the differences to keep in mind when you're comparing Heppelwhite to Sheraton. Now, we mm-hmm. we wouldn't be so uh, gauche as to confuse a Heppelwhite with a Sheraton, uh, would we? Never. <laughs> in contrast- Say my first day in the shop. My God, <laughs> that's a Heppelwhite. You fool. <laughs> In contrast to Heppelwhite's shield backs with an oval form, Sheridan preferred a square-shaped back when it came to seating. There you go. See, I, I think we'd, we'd be Sheridan men. Yeah. Um, the legs on his pieces, rather than being innovative, followed the traditional round shapes of the past. However, as American cabinet makers studied both styles, 
They sometimes mingled them together. Hmm. That's where referencing pieces as from the federal period period sometimes comes in handy rather than trying to pigeonhole a piece into the Heppelwhite or Sheraton camps if several characteristics are present. Mm, Sheppelwhite. <laughs> Sheppelwhite, there you go. Because people are taking, they probably are looking at the both books. They probably, if they've got Sheraton's book and they, they probably have Heppelwhite's book, they probably have a, a later rendition of Chippendale's book. Mm-hmm. And they're doing whatever they can to reproduce some of these pieces. Look at that. We got a shipment shipment coming from Vesting. Woo! Be here tomorrow. Nice. Thank you, Zach. Yeah. Um, and the the last name we'll introduce is Duncan Fife. I've I've seen these guys called the big three of the federal period. Excuse me. Uh, Duncan Fife is based in New York City. Again, these three guys are all Brits by birth. Um, Duncan Fife is said to have, quote, carried out Sheraton and Heppelwhite neoclassical designs to perfection. Sheppelwhite. <laughs> Sheppelfife. His flip-top game tables, lyre-back chairs, and table bases are recognizable signatures. Those originals are hard to come by, but there was a major revival of the Duncan Fife style in the 1930s, about 100 years later, making these pieces plentiful for those who admire the style. Lyre-back. Lyre's like a guitar, right? Yeah. Like a round... Um, the federal period continued in furniture manufacturing through the 1820s, although the Empire style was also gaining popularity uh, at that time. That must be the next one after yeah. Sheridan. Yeah, so Empire probably referring to the time period when everybody's going out and conquering, uh, creating empires. Here we go, Spruce Crafts. That's right, that's our Mecca. Early American, Colonial. Got this zoomed in so far. Pennsylvania <laughs> Dutch, Sheridan, American, American Empire. Empire. Ooh, look, look at that. The, look at the ad. <laughs> They've been elite metal tools. They've been stealing <laughs> They've been my information. And and if you look, American Empire is happening 1800 to 1840. So a little overlap. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's a lot of it. What comes next? Shaker. That's going to be interesting. Yeah, Victorian. I think the Victorian will be interesting because yeah. you're bringing in mass manufacture at that point. Oh, yeah, yeah. Arts and crafts, Art Nouveau, traditional revival. Modern and postmodern to present. That might have to be more than four episodes, that one. Yeah. Yeah, that'll be interesting. I mean, uh, I'm going to like... Uh, Cutting and pasting the the picture links on that one because oh, that's yeah. one of my favorites, you know. So we could really enjoy um, taking a look at that. And I would probably, if you've enjoyed the podcast up to this point, um, it'd be it's if you have the ability to, it's probably going to be more worth your while to start watching some of the episodes yeah. or at least um, going back and maybe even doing some of your own. I won't call it research, but just a little, 
quick few quick Google searches mm-hmm. will, will get you these pictures. Yeah, I mean, this is the real practical application of all of this stuff that we're talking about is you could listen to this and try and interpret this information, but until you see these pieces, mm-hmm. it doesn't, at least for me, it doesn't all click exactly. Right. Yeah, I mean, it, we're dealing with a somewhat visual medium here. Yeah. I mean, uh, if you have any interest in designing and building furniture, um, you know, hearing the why and the what and then seeing the pictures, I mean, it's invaluable. It's true. It's true. Um, you know, because I, I can't put it all together at times, like, without some sort of visual reference. Mm-hmm. You know, you try. But <laughs> a lot of the words and... And just a lot of the work is, it's kind of removed from how we do things and de- design things yeah. now. So, uh, Federal Furniture has much to offer woodworkers, uh, including us, uh, all of you out there. In addition to the traditional joinery, there's veneering, inlay, stringing, banding, and the pictorial um, veneer work, which I think is called uh, pottery or something like that. Hmm. Uh, reading, curved work is there. Um, not extensively like, you know, the Chippendale stuff. There's carving. Um, oh, this was written in first person. So and, and there's a bunch of rigid symmetry. Um but they use uh, a lot of highly figured woods, mm-hmm. and it's there's definitely a lot there to appreciate. Yeah, um, letting the wood speak for itself and not. Yeah, yeah. Um, the the veneering and the inlays it's one of the defining characteristics, and all the pieces we viewed pretty much highlight that. Mm-hmm. Uh, veneers had been a feature of the William and Mary furniture, which was part of, I believe, the colonial period. Um, mm-hmm. uh, oh, yeah, Queen Anne and Chippendale. But it's not like uh, they introduce during this period of federal uh, style um, where whole fronts of pieces are veneered yep. uh, and probably tops, too. And where do the veneers come from? It's the expansion of trade in the 18th century that brings many exotic and beautiful woods, which in turn become veneers. Uh, Cabinet makers of the period explore the use of these things, uh, just like we do. We get our hands on uh, a beautiful piece, even if we cherry pick it out of our maple pile. We go, man, what can we do with this piece of wood? Let's. Let's slice it up and make it into a couple of door panels. Speaking of which, uh, Colin, yeah, he says he's sending us a piece of wood from Australia. Ooh, oh man, that's cool because yeah, I so said we'll find something cool yeah. to do with that. Um, veneers during the federal period are used to uh, dramatic effect, mm-hmm. uh, decorate surfaces, geometric patterns. Um, or just, you know, to display the figure on its own, Mm -hmm. stringing, banding, um, federal period introduced ornamental styling, such as fluting. And I guess that comes from, uh, directly off the columns of the, you know, Greek and Roman ruins. 
What else do we got? Uh, well, White, that's the beginning of the next uh, episode. That's what I thought. Yeah, it's just there's no title on it. So. Um, Some nice stuff. Yeah. Hardware, as we saw, was typically brass. A lot of back plates. Yeah. Which is a continuation of that colonial period. I forgot all about the early American period. <laughs> it seems like a, like a lifetime ago. <laughs> well, I mean, if you think about it, we're on episode 15. Uh-huh. I mean, it's 15 uh, hours of talking. Ago, yeah. Plus the, you know, the other half episodes we put together for the Patreon. Yeah. So we, we've spent 20-some-odd uh, you know, hours. A, a long time jabbering on. Yeah. Yeah, well. So the federal period, America's first uh, true uh, style of its own. Yeah. Uh, it brought a lot of stuff to the table that we're still doing today and in a similar way. Mm-hmm. I mean, using the smaller uh, pieces of exotics as embellishment or to highlight certain things. Yep. Uh, I really like the the lightness of some of the pieces. Yeah. And getting back to the rectilinear sort of design. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I I like those colonial style high boys and stuff, but I, I don't know. They're just a little bit too much sometimes with all the, yeah. the, all the curves and carving. Yeah. Yeah. And those, what do you call those Rams head pediments? Yeah. It was a cabriole legs and the big shell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I suppose if if you're attracted to that stuff, that's, you know, you're going to do a deep dive. There's so yeah. much there for you. We're more influenced by the arts and crafts movement and, and modern, you know. Yeah, minimalism. You know, Eastern philosophy of mm-hmm. uh, uh, design. So we're getting more into our wheelhouse. Yeah. Yeah, it looks like so. Next week we're gonna dive into uh, the the design, the heavy yeah, hitters, Apple White, Sheridan, and Fife, and we're gonna look at a little bit of Seymour stuff. Nice. Yeah, I liked his uh, yeah, his little thing. Bergen County, New Jersey. Yes. <laughs> well, I don't want to spoil anything. I'm, I'm down here scrolling all the way to page fifteen and nineteen. <laughs> Um. Yeah. Well, uh, we'll see you guys next week. Don't forget, check out vesting finishes. We got some. Uh, be here. Well, be here tomorrow for us. Be here a couple weeks ago for you. Yeah. Um. Happy New Year. You're probably listening to this after. After. Yeah, it's, uh, it's 2022 now. Yeah. Unless you're one of the early listeners, uh, you'll be listening to this on New Year's Eve. But yeah, uh, we wish you all the best for the new year. 2022. Wow, it's crazy. And if you have any comments, questions yeah, about podcast, don't be shy. Write them in. Yeah. Uh, all right. We'll see you guys next week. Ciao.